would like to welcome you all here today to this morning worship service. If you could please turn in your hymnals, we'll start singing with Psalm 130. Psalm 130, Lord from the depths. Uh, for our call to worship today, if you could please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. We will read the entirety of the psalm, and then we will pray. Psalm 92. A psalm or song for the Sabbath day. It is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and to sing praises unto thy name, O Most High to show forth thy loving kindness in the morning and thy faithfulness every night. Upon an instrument of ten strings and upon the psaltery, upon the harp with a solemn sound. For thou, Lord, hast made me glad through thy work. I will triumph in the works of thy hands. 
O Lord, how great are thy works, and thy thoughts are very deep. A brutish man knoweth not, neither doth a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up, when the wicked spring as the grass, and when all the workers of iniquity do flourish, it is that that they shall be destroyed forever. But thou, O Lord, art most high forevermore. For lo, thine enemies, O Lord, for lo, thine enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. Mine eye also shall see my desire on mine enemies, and mine ears shall hear my desire of the wicked that rise up against me. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. To show that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, that our desires are should be like verse 10. But my horn shall thou exalt like the horn of unicorn. I shall be anointed with fresh oil. And this is what we need, ladies and gentlemen, to be anointed here this day to worship God, to have a fresh glimpse, to have a, our faith built up that we can go forward in the week to come. Let us call upon the Lord. Let us all bow our heads in prayer. We, I do not know the needs of everyone here, but you know in your own hearts the needs that you have for your family, for your spiritual circumstance. And let us all call upon the Lord near to help us. King of kings and Lord of lords, O Lord, we do approach thee, the most high God. O Lord, we come here on this Sabbath day, O Lord, because you have called us to come. You have called us to worship thee, O Lord, in spirit, in truth. O Lord, in all strength of our mind and body, help us to do so. O Lord, we confess that we are a weak people, that we of ourselves, O Lord, are often downcast, often, O Lord, looking to the circumstances in the world around us that, O oh Lord, are so... We see sin abound, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, but we thank Thee that we come here this day. We come here, O oh Lord, because we know that Christ is in heaven above, that, O oh Lord, He has conquered this world and hell and death for us, O oh Lord, and that we can live in this world, that we can live in this life victorious. O oh Lord, may we know ever a, a greater outworking of that victory in this life. As we come here now this day, O Lord, to even through these means of, O Lord, watching a, a video on this screen, O Lord, we pray that you would bless the word to our hearts and minds. O Lord, that you would truly strengthen our faith. Gird us up, O Lord. O Lord, how we need thee. How we can come into this place, O Lord, being so in need and not knowing it truly how much we need Thee, O Lord. O Lord, so speak to us. O Lord, we lift up also the needs of our congregation. O Lord, the need for a minister, the need for a man of God, one to come and, O Lord, call this place His own, to, as it were, O Lord, have a, such a love and, a, and a, to be compelled to be nothing else but our pastor. We look... 
O Lord, to the leadership of this congregation. We pray, O Lord, that you would help them at this time. As they are distant from us, O Lord, physically speaking, we pray, O Lord, that you would give them wisdom, give them insight. May there, O Lord, be even relationships developed amongst the congregants, amongst the members, amongst those that attend. Would there still be um, just an awareness of what the needs of this place are? We look to our denomination, O Lord, we see the, the many aging ministers. We see, O Lord, the, the churches that are scattered abroad. We, O Lord, we cry out to Thee that You would raise up young men. Raise up young men, O Lord, that stand for truth in this generation, that know what it is to have Christ as their King and Lord and Savior. O Lord, truly, we thank Thee for those that are going into the seminary. We pray that You would raise up many more. We praise up, O Lord. We, we pray also that You would... Continue to strengthen those who are diligently serving in, O Lord, other churches. O Lord, we do even think upon our missionaries this day. O Lord, we are thankful that you have called us, O Lord, to spread forth the gospel. The gospel is not a a selfish endeavor. It is not something that, uh, once a treasure that we have gotten that we keep to ourselves, but it is a treasure to be shared, a treasure to be told to others, a treasure, O Lord, that is worthy of sacrificing our life of a life of career, a life of, O oh Lord, family and comfort, O oh Lord, to go forth. And we pray a blessing and a strength to those, O oh Lord, that have done so, that have gone into faraway places, to countries that are foreign to their own, in a desire and, O oh Lord, with a faith that you would use them for thy work. Be with us here this morning, O oh Lord. Bless us, help us in our singing. May we May the word be a, a blessing to our hearts and minds and that you would encourage us here now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we <coughs> welcome you once again here this morning. Uh, we have uh, just a reminder that the offering plate is at the back of the church. Also, um, I forgot to mention in my, in my prayer, but do keep in, in prayer... Um, Reverend Gallagher's eldest son, Calvin, he's being diagnosed with cancer. I don't know what type of cancer, but um, do keep him in prayer for Mr. Gallagher, for Calvin and, and his family there. Mr. Gallagher's in the States right now with them, so do, do keep them in prayers. We also, upcoming, we have this, after, this evening service at 6 p.m., preceded with a time of prayer at 5.30 on Tuesday evening, uh, Reverend Ian Gallagher will be leading the prayer meeting via Skype. And then also on Wednesday evening, uh, you guys are involved, or invited, sorry, to attend a meeting in the TBS Society, from the TBS Society at uh, the Netherlands Reformed Church in Calgary. And that will be, take place at 7.30 p.m. Wednesday evening, and Adrian Stojasek will be the guest speaker. This is his last year, for those who are involved with the TBS, this is his last year as the General Secretary, I guess, of the TBS for Canada, and it's been taken over by another man, so this will be, if you want to see him, this will be his, his last time. And um, also, just a reminder, there are the calendars on the back table, one for family, and the current magazine as well. So we will then sing hymn number 437. I am his and he is mine. Hymn number 400.
and 37, I am his, and he is mine.
Uh, one announcement before we go to the video I forgot to mention was that next Lord's Day, uh, one of our elders, Andrew Simpson, will come and preach to us. Uh, but after the morning service, there will be a, a potluck. So um, we don't have a sign-up sheet at the back, but if you are coming, please bring something for yourself and maybe a few other people so there's enough food to go around. But we'd love everyone that can to attend. It's always a wonderful time. And so that will be next Lord's, next Lord's Day. So a week from today. So excuse me for one minute while we set this up here. John chapter 6 in your Bibles this evening. John chapter 6. We're going to break in at verse 22, John 6, verse 22. The first half of this chapter deals with the feeding of the 5,000. Verse 22 begins, as you can see, the day following. John chapter 6, verse 22. Let's all hear the Lord's inspired word. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save that one wherein two his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks." When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And when they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then, that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, 
and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. And God will bless the reading of his word as he's promised for his name's sake. Would you bow with me for a moment, please? Let's bow our heads and hearts around the throne and seek the Lord together. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, in this hour where we turn to the Holy Scriptures, we ask once again for the infilling of the Spirit of God. We pray that he will be the true preacher tonight. No one knows better how to handle the truth than the author of the truth. Give the hearing ear and use thy word, Lord, to preach the gospel of old to saint and sinner alike, all for the glory of King Jesus. In his name we pray, amen and amen. The scene from the life of Christ that is before us this evening is one that provides us with some of the deepest teachings of the gospel. And I emphasize the word gospel because there is a very skewed understanding in our day and time exactly what that means, the gospel. Some think it's limited to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. While those truths are certainly at the very heart of any and all gospel preaching, they are not the only truths that the gospel presents. It's not limited by those three great truths surrounding the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to read the gospel writers for very long before you find out that Christ's gospel, whenever he preached, covered the panoply of divine truth. 
Numerous were the times when Christ delved into some of the deepest doctrines of the gospel, and he did not reserve those deep doctrines for the religious scholars of his day, but he spoke those truths to common, ordinary people. Well, the words the Lord used were plain and simple enough, yet they convey truths that have overwhelmed the greatest of minds. Sometimes those truths were not well received, even by those who professed to be his disciples. The chapter before us is, is a case in point. Let, let's back up to the beginning of the chapter and, and, and see the circumstances that surround this sermon preached by Christ that sets forth the deep and mysterious truths of the gospel, truths that caused many to go back that day, many professed disciples to go back that day and walk no more with him because they didn't understand. John 6 contains the record of the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 with nothing more than five loaves of bread and two small fish. Must have been something to be there, you know. I'd like to have been there. To reach into the basket, take out bread and fish, and it's still there. I mean, how else do you feed 5,000 plus people if that's not taking place? Would have been something to behold. It doesn't require much imagination to figure out the subject matter of their conversation that day. What they were all talking about amongst themselves, and all that night for that matter, and indeed into the next day as well. This was shocking. You find they were so interested in Christ, supposedly, that he has left them and crossed the Sea of Galilee into Capernaum, that they also took shipping and went after him. So verse 24, when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. And as soon as they find the Lord, they ask the question, when did you get here? As if they had a great interest in his ministry. As if they had a great interest in his message. But that wasn't the case at all. Christ tells them point blank in verse 26, they had not come to him that day. They were not seeking him that day, not looking for him because of the miracle that he did, but because he satisfied their physical hunger. He put food in their bellies, and that's why they were seeking him. They did not care about the miracle that actually testified to the fact that he was who he said he was, that he was the Son of God. No, what they were interested in was this food to fill their stomachs. Free meal. Their motives, therefore, in coming to Christ... Seeking Christ and coming to Christ were not spiritual but carnal. 
It was about what they could get out of it for their carnal desires. It wasn't spiritual. They were not coming to Christ looking for him because of a spiritual hunger, a hunger to hear his truth that he proclaimed, but it was for physical reasons, for carnal, carnal hunger. And when the Lord calls upon them to quit laboring, to have their carnal desires, their fleshly desires satisfied, and to find spiritual satisfaction by believing on him, they prove his point. What's their response? What sign, what miracle will you give us that we may see and believe you? Well, you see that they weren't really interested in believing in Jesus Christ because they had all the evidence they needed from the day before. This man is who he says he is. No one else could do this kind of miracle. We need to listen to what he has to say. No, they weren't interested in that. They just wanted another meal. But Christ tells them in verse 36 that they had seen him. And they had seen his miracles, but still they did not believe. I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. The Lord Jesus Christ then utters a truth that took them to the heart of the gospel, a truth, a truth that sets forth what coming to Christ really involves. All that the Father, verse 37, all that the Father giveth me will come to me, and him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. That is deep doctrine. It's not reserved for a seminary classroom. He's speaking to common, ordinary people. All that the Father giveth me will come to me. And him that cometh, I will in no wise cast out. In that text, there are at least four deep truths of the gospel, because that's what he was doing here. He was preaching the gospel. Four deep truths that we need to grasp because they describe all who are truly saved. I want to speak from this text tonight very simply on the subject of coming to Christ. That's what it's about, coming to Christ. Notice with me, please, in the first place, the people who come to Christ. The people who come. All that the Father giveth me will come to me. Who are the ones that come to Christ? All those who are given to him by his Father. Now, let's, let's dig down, ask the question, well, what does that mean? Well, if you compare it to a few other texts of Scripture, over in John chapter 10, you find the Lord making the same kind of statement, my sheep, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, my Father, which gave them me, 
is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Over in John chapter 17, in Christ's high priestly prayer before going to the cross, he makes the same statement, not, not once, but he actually says it seven times. I can just refer you to verse 6 of John 17, where Christ says in prayer, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Seven times in that prayer he makes that same statement. Seven times the men you gave me. So Christ refers in this text to a people who have those who come to Christ have already been given to him by his Father. But who are these people who have been given to Christ? When were they given to Christ? And why were they given to Christ? Well, those questions, they take us back to the mysterious and inexplicable counsel of God in what in our human weakness we call eternity past. They take us back to what Paul refers to as the eternal purpose in Ephesians 1, which he purposed in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures have a lot to say about the counsel, the plan, the purpose of God. God is described in His Word as one who worketh all things after or according to the counsel of His will. Psalm 33, verse 11 the psalmist said, The counsel of the Lord Jehovah standeth forever. The thoughts of his heart to all generations. It stands forever. It's not going to be altered. It's fixed. Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. So, and those are only a, a, a smattering of truths that declare the same truth. In all those verses, we are given to understand that God has this, this one unalterable, comprehensive, and invincible purpose and plan that He is bringing to pass in this world. While it covers everything that's happening from something we don't even see out there at the far reaches of the universe to the snowflake that falls on a mountaintop. It covers all of that. It has particular reference to the redemption of sinners. That plan centers upon redemption. There is this, therefore, this unbreakable link between coming to Christ, right? That's what we're about here. Between coming to Christ and the eternal purpose of God that gave sinners to Christ as a gift. Can't break the link. 
2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul wrote to Timothy, referring to Christ, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose. There's our word. According to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Amen. Before we ever existed. Ephesians 1, verse 11, in whom that's in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose, there we go, of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So in John 6, 37, Christ speaks of those whom the Father chose in his eternal counsel to be a gift to Christ. Those, therefore, who come to Christ, who have come to Christ, who are now coming to Christ, even this day perhaps, and who will yet come to Christ, they are coming. Why? Because they were given to Jesus Christ. They were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. That's just plain gospel truth. He's preaching the gospel here to lost sinners. Don't miss the context, folks. This is not systematic theology that he's teaching in a preaching class. Everyday people. My Father has chosen a people and he's given them to me as a gift. That's why they come to me. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. You want to know why you came to Jesus Christ one day and asked him to save you? Because it was ordained of the Father, you were a gift given to Jesus Christ. Amen. If that had not been done, you would not come to him. You would not seek him, period. Isn't grace wonderful? They were, Acts 13, 48, ordained to eternal life. They are the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. I'm speaking now, of course, of God's electing and predestinating grace. Grace that set apart a definite people. Yes, a, a number which no man can number, John says in Revelation. But God knows the number. And it's fixed. And it will not be altered. It won't be added to. And it won't be diminished. All that the Father giveth will come to me. While this company is innumerable, it can't mean every man was given to Christ. If the Father gave every man to Jesus Christ, then every man would come to him according to what Christ said in this text. 
all that the Father giveth me. Whoever they are, they're going to come to me. So if he actually gave to Christ every man, then every man must come. If he actually atoned for the sins of every man on the cross, then every man will have his sins atoned for. And we know that's not true. The ones given to Christ from eternity are all those who shall be saved and raised incorruptible on the last day. Look at verse 39. He says it. And this is the Father's will. I'm here to do my Father's will. Here's His will. This is the Father's will which has sent me that of all which He hath given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up again at the last day. All that have been given to Christ by His Father will come to Christ. And every one of those, it's my, it's my Father's will that I save them all and raise them up at the last day. You talk about a guarantee? You come to Christ? You come to Christ for salvation? It's guaranteed by the Almighty God who cannot lie that you will be raised again the last day. I, I, I have a hard time, you know, understanding, well, that's my human side talking right now, why there, isn't, uh, why there is a fear of this truth when it is so glorious. I, I, I'm quite happy about the doctrine of sovereign election. I'm not ashamed of it. I don't believe you ought to hide it. Here is the Son of God, the greatest preacher that ever walked the face of the earth. He has this vast crowd before him, and he tells them this, you're not coming to me because you weren't given to me by the Father. He's preaching the gospel. Go figure. Far from being a ground of, to puff up men in their pride, if this truth is rightly understood, it just puts you down in the dust. I, I don't know about you, but when this truth first occurred to me, I just broke, I broke down and wept. Because I realized if it had been his pleasure, he could have passed over me and left me to my sin and I would perish in hell. But for reasons known only to him, he said, I want you. I'm going to give you as a gift to my son. That is humbling. Election is of sovereign grace. It has nothing to do with anything that God sees or foresees, in men, because all that's there, all that's there is sin upon sin upon sin upon sin. Where's the room for boasting? How does a Christian look down his nose at, at those who refuse, who refuse to come to Christ when the only thing that kept him from being there was the Lord's electing grace? 
There's no place for snobbery in the church of Jesus Christ. No place for snobbery. Despise it like a plague. War against it whenever it rears its ugly head in your life. There's no place for snobbery. No place for pride. We ought to be, we ought to be a people who walk humbly before God. I'll be the first to tell you that God's purpose to give a people to Christ cannot be fathomed. The Father selects a gift to give to His Son, a reward. And what's the reward? Sinners like you and me. I'm a gift? You know, you you and I think about giving gifts to people that we care a lot about, we really love. Within our means, we like to give them nice gifts. And here, here is the Father. I have a gift for you, my son. Here are the people I'm giving to you. You have got to go. You've got to enter that world as a man. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be put to death. I will forsake you. But when you're all said and done, I'm going to give you these people. They're yours. Lo, it's written in the book, I come to do thy will, O God. That is amazing to me. He would come, he would come for me. I don't understand it. Don't you feel like you should have been passed over? Just left to your sin. But Jesus Christ came for you because that was the will of his Father. These are the ones I must raise again the last day. Vile, wretched, poor, undone, unlovely. That's who he came for. There's a second truth here in this text I want you to see. The certainty that these people will come. The certainty of it. We looked at the people who will come. Now, the certainty that they will come. This has far-reaching ramifications about our attitudes and our mentality about the lost around us about missions, about preaching the gospel, about the work of this church. All that the Father giveth me shall, shall come to me. Divine authority, they shall come. The Lord does not say they may come if most of them will come. He says all of them that have been given to me shall come. It's as plain as it gets. Christ speaks of this unconditional and absolute purpose of God and the will of Christ that all that the Father hath given to him shall without fail come to him. Why is it now? Why is it that, you know, you can have Two lost sinners in the same meeting, hearing the same gospel message. One of them comes to Christ, the other does not. Why is that so? Well, I can tell you if, I can tell you why that one who does come, because he was given to Jesus Christ. It was time to be saved. And he came. He had to come. It was time. 
just like there's a time to be born and there's a time to die, it's also true when there's a time for every one of those given to Christ to be saved. And they will be saved without a doubt. It doesn't matter how bad the preaching is. You with me? (laughs) It doesn't matter if the sermon structure is not homiletically correct. If it's time for them to be saved, they're going to come. They will have a desire in their soul, I have got to get to Christ. I can't stay back any longer. Is that not your testimony? Did there not come the time in your life? You might have heard the gospel dozens of times, but one day something happened and you said, I must go to him today. I cannot put this off any longer. You want to know why that happened? Because you were given to Jesus Christ by the Father and you had to come. All that the Father giveth me, they will come to me. If the other individual does not come, never comes, he wasn't given to Jesus Christ. If he had been given to Jesus Christ, he would have come. Well, someone says, I've heard it, God doesn't force anyone to be saved. Well, if you want to put it like that, no, he doesn't force anyone to be saved. But I'll tell you what he does do. Through that act, that act of regeneration by the Holy Spirit, he creates a new mind, he creates a new will, and now with that new will and that new understanding and that ability now to believe and repent, He goes to Christ and says, save me. They're not compelled against their wills. They just have a will that wants to come now. There's got to be that. It's not renovation of the old will. Forget about it. You're not going to renovate the old stinking, rotten, dead will. There has to be a new will. Someone who has a heart of stone has to be given a heart of flesh. Or there's no salvation. I don't care what they talk about. I don't care how many verses they quote. It doesn't matter to me how many aisles they've walked down or how many decision cards they've signed. The question is this. Has there been given a regenerate heart that comes to Christ? That's what I want to know. Note, please, that Christ equates coming to him These are synonymous now. He equates coming to him with believing on him. Look at verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Do you see how they're equated? Coming to him is synonymous with believing on him. Believing on him is synonymous with coming to him. But when Christ told these Jews that he was the bread that came down from heaven, they began to murmur among themselves, and that murmuring was in unbelief. It was bread of heaven. We know his mother and father, Joseph and Mary. He was born just like everybody else. He's come down from heaven. What's he talking about? 
Do you see what Jesus said in response? Verse 43. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And oh, by the way, I will raise him up at the last day. No man can come if God doesn't draw. Makes sense, doesn't it? No need to get all upset about what I've just said. You haven't come to me and you don't believe on me because my Father has not drawn you. Turn the page if you need to turn it. Verse 65. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. It doesn't get any plainer than that. No man can come unless it's given to him. Unless the Father does the drawing and give the regenerate heart, he cannot come and he will not come. But when men do come to Christ, when they believe on him, it is because God has done this regeneration to their heart and totally transformed them. That's why they come. That's why you got saved, however long ago it was, or over how recently it was. That's, that's the reason. So in that sense, there's, there's a way in which we are, quote, forced, unquote, to come to Christ. Not, not against our will, but a force that works in us and that drives us to Christ. I've got to go, I've got to go, I've got to go. Why was I made to hear his voice and enter while there's room? While thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come. Tis the same love that spread the feast that sweetly forced me in. Else I had still refused to taste and perished in my sin. That is the gospel. Every soul that has been placed in that innumerable company by the sovereign decree of God shall let Satan do his best, let the human will do its most to resist and let the flesh and the world fight with all of its might against it happening. Everyone given to Christ by his Father shall be brought to Christ to cry for salvation. The words might all change. It might be, Lord, save me. It might be, Lord, forgive my... Whatever the... It doesn't make any difference as far as the words go. There's not some formula, you know, by the way... One day when I was in the theological hall, a student at Bob Jones called and wanted to speak to Dr. Cairns. He wasn't available. And then we were talking on the phone about he was really doubting his salvation. 
And, and I, could t I was there. I know what it's like to be in that 10 years doubting whether or not I was saved and wanting peace and assurance and all that. And that's where he was. And, and he said to me, you know, and you could hear his voice as you break it, because I didn't say, and it was a certain formula, he said, because of something about the blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't say it that way when he, when he got saved. He was doubting. It was all about how he said it or his prayer that he made. Something to do with that. All it is, Lord, save me. <laughs> That's it. The important point is you come to Christ. Now, Christ is going to enjoy the reward of his sufferings. He did not die on the cross. He did not go through this life of suffering. He did not go through that passion. He did not go through that shame that one, one of those for whom he died would perish in hell. He didn't do that. It's not going to happen. He will enjoy the fruit of his labors. I say there's tremendous comfort for the gospel preacher. There's tremendous comfort for the missionary. Let's get our thinking right here. All this being true, the elect are going to be saved. Those that have been given to Jesus Christ by the Father, every last one of them will be brought safely home. I don't need to fret about it. I don't need to get all upset. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now you know the context of that statement. That is not talking about universal, that, oh, God just wants all men to be saved. That's not what the text is about. Just read it in its context. He's not willing that any one of those whom he gave to Jesus Christ should perish. He is willing that all of them, in fact, the word willing is not just wish, it's this decree, that's the word. It's this decree that all will be saved. So he tarries. Remember, that's the context of that statement. He's, why is God tarrying? Well, there's a reason for it. He's waiting to... For the last one given to Jesus Christ is brought in. Because Christ's mission was what? Of all which he had given me, none should perish, but I will raise him up at the last day. Now you tell me that doesn't affect your thinking. It ought to affect your thinking with missions, with the lost around you. Remember, remember Paul in, in Corinth? And there was so much opposition when he came there. And, Paul, and the Lord Jesus came to him in a vision and said, Paul, don't be afraid. You just keep on preaching the gospel with boldness. Why? I have much people in this city. There's a lot of people that have been given to me, and I've got to save them. And you're going to be the man who will preach the gospel, and they'll be brought in, and they will come to me. Doesn't that affect your whole view of missions? 
I mean, it's uh, not for one moment does this mean, well, you know, the elect are going to be saved. I just don't have to do anything. They're all going to come in. Well, if you think that, you, you don't understand the gospel because the same one who said, I have given these people to my son and he will save them is the same one that says, you just go out and you witness and you proclaim the gospel and that's how I will bring those in that I've given to my son. But don't miss the point. They're going to be saved. God's not up in heaven worrying. Is, is that one going to come or not? Or are, are, are their efforts going to fail? Because I haven't done as I should have as a preacher. Well, people are going to go to hell. That's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. When time ends, all the world will see that despite the hardness of men's hearts, despite the hatred of men for God, God did all his pleasure, and all that he gave to Christ will have come to him. You can count on that. Not because John Wagner said it, because God Almighty said it. You can count on it. It will happen. That gives me great courage to keep preaching, whether men hear or not, whether they rebel and reject or not, doesn't matter. The elect are going to be saved. Amen. Isn't that great? Thirdly and finally, what about this nature of coming to Christ? And him that cometh. Him that cometh. All those who are going to be saved and raised again from the dead on the last day to be with Christ, they must come. If you want to be among that number, you must come. There's not an option here. If you, if you go anywhere else but to Christ, you will be lost for eternity. Contemplate that. You may come to church and do it faithfully for decades. You may come to Bible studies. You may come to preachers. You may come to friends. But unless you come to Christ, there is no salvation, no hope of being saved. What does that mean, coming to Christ? It's very simple. When you come to someone, you turn your back upon everything else but the one to whom you're coming. When you come to Christ, you turn your back upon his enemies. You turn your back upon a life of sin. You turn your back 
upon your ungodly ways because you're coming to Christ. You're forsaking those things. It's impossible, it's impossible to come to Christ and not turn your back upon Satan and upon the world. It's impossible. Any more than if I said, I stood down there and said, come to me. You could not do that without turning your back upon everybody else, could you? If a man is trusting in his good works to get him into God's heaven, he's never come to Christ. If he's trusting in walking down an aisle or the shedding of tears or the simple saying of a prayer, hoping that that little prayer he offered up will do him on judgment day, he has never come to Christ. Jesus warns us about this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will profess to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You never came to me. So it means leaving every other hope, every other confidence behind. Coming to Christ, as we've already pointed out from what Jesus said, it means trusting in him, believing on him. Not just a one-time act of faith, but ongoing because the, the word, you know, in the New Testament about believers, it's always present tense. They're always believing, always believing, not just something I did when I was a kid. I am believing on Christ. It means seeing Christ, believing that he is the true bread of life. As the only one who can actually give you eternal life and sustain that life. It means that because a man believes that Jesus Christ is the only one that satisfies his longings, he comes in faith, putting all his hopes in him. All my life I had panted, the hymn writer said. All my life looking for something to satisfy the emptiness and the longing in my... I wonder, am I talking to someone tonight and you know exactly what that means? There's an emptiness. There's an emptiness in your life. There's a hole there. There's a void there. It's not been filled and you've tried all kinds of things to bring that satisfaction and you haven't found it yet. You want to know why you haven't found it yet? Because you've never come to Christ yet. No other reason. Because when you come to Jesus, you find that he satisfies. It's not circumstances, it's not people, it's not things. None 
but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. Coming to Christ means trusting in his death on Calvary. There's my hope. I can't live a good life. It's not my good deeds that's going to bring me to glory. I'm an old, dirty, helpless sinner. And the only one that can help me with my sin is Jesus, the Savior of sinners. Thou shalt call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. And will you not testify with me? He's been, he's been doing that ever since the day you came to him. He's been saving you from your sins over and over and over again. That's our testimony. He's got to raise us up again at the last day. It's got to be all throughout our lives that we perish. I'm not going to apostatize in neither of you if you've come to Christ. It's not going to happen. You are not going to abandon the faith. You're not going to walk away from Jesus Christ. Because if you were able to do that, you would perish and go to hell. And then Christ has failed to do what his father sent him to do. That's the good news. What about the promise to those who do come? Him that cometh, I will in no wise cast him out. No way. Never. Note that him that cometh. Him. Whoever it is. Well, I'm, I'm a mess. I am one broken mess, you say. Him that cometh. Him. I have rejected the gospel for years. I've heard the gospel preached from this pulpit I don't know how many times, but I'm still lost. Him that cometh. That's it. I feel so unfit to come. Good. Him that cometh. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And this he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. What him may come? Bunyan said, any him in the world. Oh, but preacher, preacher, you've been talking about this, this elect and these chosen in Christ they're getting. And if I'm not one of those, then I can't come and I'm not going to come. Well, you know what, folks? That business right there about those who have been given to Jesus Christ, that is God's business. Leave that to him. God says, come, whoever you are. Whatever your case, come to Jesus and I'll never cast you out.
whoever comes, rich or poor, red and yellow, black and white, old or young, Christ says, I will never, ever reject him. I will not reject that one that comes to me the first time, and I will never reject him from then on out. You see, if we've come to Christ, we come to him again and again, and he never rejects us. If that was the case, brothers and sisters, how many times have you come to Jesus having fallen and failed and wandered away, as we were talking about this morning, like a lost sheep, you've just wandered away from God, and you've come to him, you've come back. He says, come. I'm not tired of you. I'm not going to cast you off because I'm determined I'm going to save you completely from your sin. And you're going to be with me forever to behold my glory. You can count on it. I'll never cast you away. Never, ever, ever. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. And that is, that's just not good news. That is great news. So what are you going to do with it? If you're lost this evening, I can tell you what you need to do before you walk out. It's come to Christ. You walked in lost, undone. You can walk out saved. Come to Christ. If you're saved, what do you do with it? Praise the Lord and live in the confidence that you're his forever. Everything is okay. It's good. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's all going to work out. Right? The Lord write that word on our hearts for his namesake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord. Father, we thank thee for giving us to Christ. All we deserved was to be left in our sin. But in thy sovereign grace, thou hadst compassion on us. Thou didst see us in our deep need and set thy love upon us, everlasting love. And we thank thee in his name for it. We thank thee, Lord Jesus Christ, for doing whatever was necessary to save us from our sin, for giving thy life upon Calvary. We thank thee, Holy Spirit, for coming by thy power and giving us hearts to believe. We bless our triune God this night for this great salvation. And we pray for any among us who know not what it is to come to Christ. We pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And they will come 
and be saved. In Christ Jesus' name we ask it all. Amen and amen.